Andrew. And I'm Spencer, and you're listening to the At A Distance podcast from The Slowdown. Today, we'll be speaking with Shiraze Hushiari, an Iranian-born, London-based artist who has work in the permanent collections of institutions including New York's Museum of Modern Art and the Tate in London. Shiraze was a nominee for the 1994 Turner Prize, and in 2008, the St. Martin's in the Fields Church in London unveiled a very important work for the East Window that she had created with Pip Horn. Her work draws on a deep interest in philosophy, science, physics, and poetry, and she has an incredible ability to understand the world's complexity with refreshing clarity. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Shirze. Welcome to At A Distance. It's so great to have you with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start with just sort of what's on the top of your mind today, right now, this minute. Oh, many things. I mean, it's a very difficult moment at this moment with uh, the pandemic and with the lockdown. I don't think any many of us have uh, too many things in the mind, which is for a good reason, actually. But mm. uh, I can't really pick one thing. But if I can pick one thing, it would be that in the last few weeks, uh, I've been really listening a lot to Monteverdi, strangely mm. enough. Monteverdi wrote a, a mass, a very beautiful mass in 1630. And the mass was a kind of thanksgiving after the plague in Venice. And, you know, that plague was pretty nasty. Mm. One third of the population of Venice died. So Monteverdi lost his brothers, his families, and many of his musicians. So in a way, he was facing death. And something similar to now, <laughs> we are facing death. Not an individual death, but a collective death. Mm. I think it's very powerful. I found that it's not something that you can escape. It's right in front of your forehead. He wrote this piece of, uh, this mass, he produced this mass, which was played later on in San Marco Basilica. And it's incredibly powerful, this mass, because it's not only, it has a darkness and it has a sense of mourning, but it also has a sense of life. And I'm now, I think I'm confronting something that maybe I never understood before, that you understand life when you confront death. Mm. And the mm -hmm. intensity of it is very profound. How does it relate to the early piece you did in St. Martin's Church? Things you were saying seem to be in parallel. I mean, to make a parallel is very difficult, really. I don't know how to articulate it, because the St. Martin's Church, I mean, I know it is about the agony of cross, an agony of cross is a kind of death, is confronting that, the ultimate, uh, which we all have to face. Uh, maybe mm. there is a similarity, you're absolutely right. There is something, there is a parallel between the two. I found that you can even see it in Camus' story, you know, the stranger, when he's in prison and uh, he's going to be executed the day after, the priest is trying to comfort him and to rescue his soul. He refuses. He sees the priest has no understanding of what life is. And the last minute, the day before he's executed, he looks through a little window. He sees the sky and he knows he has lived. 
It's very powerful. Mm. The mm. intensity of life in the moment of death, it becomes very profound. And I think this is really something that I would say that people have experienced it before. You find it in, uh, even in Shakespeare, because Shakespeare lived again during the time of pandemic. The plague was pretty devastating. And he wrote uh, King Lear. And you find this intensity, it creates an intensity, which I think because we never have experienced this before, you know, in our lifetime, for the last hundred years, we haven't really had anything like this. As if we have been asleep, I feel that. And it's as if we are waking up to life, not to death, but to life. And I found this intensity in uh, Monteverdi at the moment, And that's why I've been listening to this mass. I didn't understand it first, but I just felt I needed to listen to something like that. How have you been spending your time? Have you found the quarantine to be productive? And has it changed your relationship to time? How you think about time? Well, I have always had a strange relationship with time because time is a very absurd thing. And as many scientists tell us, time really doesn't exist. And yet we, human beings, have created this clock time, which is totally artificial, has not even got a relationship with natural world, because our time is clock time, which, what does it mean? Has no meaning. And somehow that clock time in this time of uh, confinement has disappeared. And I think everybody finding their own time, We all have our own clock within ourselves, which is more natural, which also connect to the natural world because we are part of nature. It mm -hmm. connects to light. It connects to the way the sun shines through the leaves of the tree. It connects, you know, I have a very beautiful window behind my studio, which looks into the woods. And I look in through the woods and I see the way the light change every minute. Those are my time. The way it changes, I understand where I am. I don't need the clock anymore, which is quite <laughs> amazing, I have to say. That's why I'm saying the intensity of living, to be alive, it becomes very uh, profound at this moment. And by the way, something that fascinated me about Monteverdi, he was in his 60s when the plague came to... Um, Venice, and maybe that is why I feel there is some kind of uh, connection that I am making with his music across time and space. And light. And, and I mean, I bring up the piece in St. Martin's Church because it brought light into darkness. And it's the simplicity of that. You see, the simplicity is very important. Not mm. simplistic. That's not what I mean. Simplicity, which is something part of nature. I'm really mm. becoming more and more fascinated by nature and ecology because nature celebrates simple, not simplistic, but simplicity. And from simplicity, you reach complexity. Look at the complexity of different life forms that exist on our planet. It is pretty amazing. From a very simple cells, from a division of simple cell. We have this incredible life form and shape on our planet. So this is something that, again, I think nature really teaches us so much. That cross is about that simplicity of the warp and weft. It's actually mm -hmm. a very simple image in some ways. 
Yeah, but it bends your mind in, in very complicated ways, like nature. It's interesting that you're, you're thinking about nature right now. And, you know, for the past several hundred years, we've considered ourselves outside of nature, other than nature, since basically Descartes. Do you think that this virus and this moment in time in history helps us uh, shift our perspective on our man's relationship to nature? Are we now realizing that we're more of it than different from it? I hope so, because you know what? We were in a mess before this pandemic, quite frankly. We are really destroying our planet. We are exploiting the, the nature in the most brutal way. And actually this pandemic, this virus is a product of our, the way we behave. You know, in my lifetime, the population of the planet has doubled and we are taking over every little piece of land there is available, all the forest, everything. And we are destroying all the species. I mean, in the most brutal, this is called civilized man. I found us mm. extremely brutal. Mm. So we have the ability to be humane, but we also have the ability to be extremely brutal. I don't want to say savage, because I think our savage ancestors were more humane than we are because they were connected to the natural world. And since the enlightenment, we have become so arrogant, we think we can master the natural world. And for me, I think this is this pandemic, hopefully, is forcing us, it's like an upheaval that is telling us, please listen. If we can listen, I have a feeling we don't have many leaders, we don't have many intellectuals who can lead us out of this total mess that we have created because we think nature is a mechanistic uh, artificial phenomenon that we have to control. We don't see that nature is actually more sophisticated. It is non-linear. It is uh, self-organizing. All our system is actually a failure compared with natural system. We are not learning that uh, nature is something that we are part of. And we need this web of life to breathe. And that's why my, when I say I wake up and I see the light moving through the trees, I understand what is my time in relation to the natural phenomenon. I don't want to know the clock time any longer. You know, one of the problems is we still live in Newtonian box, which is deterministic, which is materialistic, which is individualistic. All this, I think we either have to change or we are doomed, actually. It's very simple. Nature is not sentimental. It is not going to be upset if we disappear. <laughs> Which brings me to the, the veil and, and the black square. Can we speak a bit about the black square and the not knowing? Uh, this is, uh, for me, knowing perception is a complex thing. And our perception very often is limited. But we don't realize that. We only live in one scale. It's only one scale amidst of millions of scales. You have got very tiny uh, particle and you have got huge galaxies and nebula. So we live in one scale. So our instrument, which is our eyes of perception, our ears, we are embodied being, only exist in this one scale. With this one scale, we are trying to understand Every single scale exists on this universe, which is quite amazing. I have to say, sometimes I found that I respect that. But at the same time, we have to understand that we are limited. 
We have no ability to really be sure about what we see is reality. So in a way, every time we have to question ourselves, doubt is the core of understanding today, not certainty. To be uncertain is more powerful than to be certain. But unfortunately, our politics, our economical situation, everything is trying to push us to certainty. But this is not reality. So the black square for me was a way, because it's not absolutely quite black, inside it, there is tiny little marks that is almost like the particle. It's whirling. It's right in front of your eyes, but you don't see it. What you see is completely black and nothingness. And that's how we live. We very often are not aware of the small, the different scale that exists in this universe. So we have to really always be careful about our own perception and our own understanding of the world because we had so much arrogance about us and this was a kind of protest against knowing in a way black square for me was a protest to say we really don't understand and please let us look at this i think today we can see it better than we could see it when i did that square the veil Yes, because today, with the pandemic, with the problem that we are dealing, we have a little bit become more aware of our own, in a way, mortality. Mm. I also want to, just before we move on from, from that work, it also has to do with time. The painting reveals itself in physical terms as the cones of your eyes respond to it and, and the image starts to appear. Can you also talk about the power of the physicality of a painting and why... Possibly right now, with the art world shift to an online digital experience, really belies the reality of looking at a painting. Mm, that is always a problem because we are embodied beings. We exist in our body. And uh, although the technology will help us to communicate, and this is quite uh, powerful, and thanks God the technology is there that we can talk, but at the same time, we have to remember that we feel the world around us through our skin, through our breath. We are not completely only in our mind. We are embodied. That's why our scale is very important. That painting is also physical. All my work is very physical. I was supposed to have a show in New York and it was is now I have postponed it to next year because I would not want to put it on a screen. I would not mm. want to do that because you have to feel that on your skin. And if you don't feel it on your skin and all your senses, there's nothing there. And to me, that mm. is important because what, why is it important? Even intellectually is important. Because the scale, I was talking about we are existing in one scale. And in the last, especially I would say 50 years, we have really wanted to make everything big. You know, our cities has become big. Our governments is big. Arts become huge. Yes. Everything is just big. It's about scale. What is wrong with human being? Because we are not, is out of scale. Somehow the scale has no reality. And there is something that this pandemic is also showing us. Now we are banned to travel around. We can't just jump on the plane and go somewhere else. We are told we stay within a small community. Suddenly we have become small, like a village. And in fact, <laughs> I mean, you read Rousseau, you read uh, Jefferson in the United States. They all talked about small 
if you want to have a real democracy, small is the way forward. It doesn't mean mm. that we won't contemplate the globalization because the globe is as important. You see, the problem we have, I mean, this is such a complex issue. The problem we have, our brain is constructed to see either black or white, either good or bad. But these things are not separated. We need to educate ourselves right. to transcend the duality of existence. And this local and global are not two opposite phenomena. They are counterpart mm. of one another. And to live in a local way, it's very important. Now I'm beginning to understand that. So the scale, small, it's human. We need it because then we can be connected. The people who lead us can listen to us. But when you have a big yeah. centralized government, look at the state of democratic countries. It's mm. a sham. I wouldn't call it democracy anymore. Mm. I wanted to bring up that your work, and it's connected to this, often explores these sort of opposing states of being, this sort of idea of contradiction and paradox. And we're kind of stuck with COVID-19 in this paradox, this in-between moment. So I'm wondering, how are you thinking about this from a big picture perspective, this idea of being in-between in these sort of two different states of being at once? That's what I was trying to say, that it's like now I have to live in a local area. I have to shop in my local area. I have to communicate with my local people. My neighborhood has become very important. And there is something very intimate and beautiful. But at the same time, how do we solve, for example, the virus? We need to be global because otherwise there is no chance of solving the problem. Or how do we solve, for example, the climate change? We have to be global because there's no point for my little country or my little uh, local community to think about it alone. You know, this needs mm. a global vision. So both right. of these have to be active. And why these two things are not opposed. That's what I'm trying to say. They actually are part of one phenomenon. As uh, mm. Merleau-Ponty said, they are counterpart of one another. The absence and presence are not separated. And this mm. is why I'm trying to say, it, but you need to education and training the mind. Because unfortunately, the neuroscientists have found out that our brain is designed in this way. We cannot see the two as part of one. We see them as a separate phenomenon. The conflict arises from here. It's the problem of our brain. We need to educate ourselves. And education is everything. There in this moment is also this incredible sense of borderlessness. The virus has made this very obvious. So I'm wondering, how do you think about borders in the context of the virus, but also within your own life, within your own work? Borders are very artificial. <laughs> Nature doesn't know border, and you know that. We live on this little planet on the edge of, even on the edge of the galaxies, we are part of the cosmos. And if we really want to connect, we have to connect to the whole cosmic process. It's no point to just have a border with a little country. But at the same time, we need to respect our scale. That's what I was trying to say. Our scale is very important. It's like we are physical, we are physical being, and we need this limitation of scale. Otherwise, we go crazy. There's the insanity. When a city becomes so big, the citizens of that city go crazy. 
because they can't function. They can't find their place within the masses of people. But when it's a small, they relate to it. So this is the difference. But at the same time, we are part of the cosmos and the galaxies and the universe. So we both need the large and the small at the same time. And, you know, this is actually quite um, profound. Again, is Merleau-Ponty who said that you can find the proximity in distance and distance in proximity. How much do you think philosophy in general is going to rise out of this? I mean, I think people are looking at modern philosophers more than they ever have. Marcus Gabriel in Germany, Tobias Rees, Simon Critchley. These are people whose voices are becoming louder now. Do you think that our society would benefit from philosophers and more of the soft sciences? You know, science is about knowledge. Knowledge is not enough. I would say more poetry and philosophy is part of poetic language in some ways. It's meaning. Meaning is necessary as much as knowledge is necessary. So you can't give one without the other. This is what I'm trying to say. We need meaning. That's why we read philosophy. It's essential because meaning gives us in relation to life, death, love, affection, all those things gives meanings to life as a human being. And we can't do without it. At the same time, we need knowledge to be able to cultivate our mind. So we need both. So I wouldn't say I would ever want to take one out. One of our problems today is that we are too specialized. The yeah. scientists are scientists and the artists are artists. I don't believe in that. I love the idea of a Renaissance man who actually studied everything because they're all about the same subject, actually. It's about our understanding of the world around us. Tying into that, this idea of ignorance, which you play with a whole lot throughout your career, why do you think so many people miss the warning signs of this, especially so much in America? How did ignorance play into this? Have you ever read, the, there was a book written, Plague, by Camus, Albert Camus, yeah. which is about a plague that was happening in uh, Algeria. And uh, what is very strange in this novel is that the people deny the plague. They were not even aware. You know, the rats in the gutter and in the sewers were infected with all kinds of disease. They would not want to see it. Until the, the rats begin to come out in the street and died on the pavement and everywhere. And suddenly they became aware. You know, it's so amazing how we are, have an ability more than any other species to completely ignore the warning sign. Mm. The same we are doing with climate change and we are doing the same thing with the use of plastic. It fascinates me right now. During this pandemic, the use of plastic has become excessive again. And people completely forgotten that we were even concerning about how we are affecting all the other species in the ocean or land pollution. We have forgotten about all this because plastic is very good for hygiene. So we are using excessive amount of plastic. Where is it going? And I found that amazing. This is who we are. We are not even like other species because other animals would never be so irrational to destroy themselves. So much of this has to do with presence and absence, what's in front of us, what's hidden, what's revealed. From your perspective of this moment we're in, how are you thinking about presence and absence? What's present, what's not? 
You are absolutely right. You know what it is? Again, I was studying this about how the neuroscientists have found out our brain is actually the same brain as when we were in the savannah in Africa hunting. When we are a hunter, you only short-sighted. You only look at the present moment, how to hunt and how to capture your prey. You cannot really look at the bigger picture because you don't, you, this is not how we are designed. We are designed in this way. So we are designed to be short-sighted. But we have to train ourselves to have a forlorn view of the world around us. This takes a lot of work. You can't expect the whole population of every country to become like that. We need intellectual, we need elite in a way, a political elite, people who are able to think. Unfortunately, we don't have that today. And this is what really upsets me. Completely this planet is ridden by ill thoughts from political perspective. There are so many evils of civilization that every country on this planet at this moment has it no matter which country you look at, whether it's democratic, fascist, or it's like a country that I came from, it's totally a religious despotism. So it doesn't matter where you look, they all have no ability to look at the bigger picture. They have no intellectual ability, unfortunately. I don't know what has happened to our world. Let's end on a, a positive note. I'm curious where you find hope. Where do you see the greatest hope as we emerge from this situation? The greatest hope really would be if people realize that at this moment, we need to change. This is a, a voice to tell us we need to change our way of life. We need to become more simple, to have a more simple life. We need to become frugal. Nature is about limits and scarcity, is not about abundance. This is a lie we have been given. We need to become moderate, we need to become frugal, we need to become simple, and we need to really live a simpler life that is interconnected to the natural world. We need to feel we are part of the web of life. And that is something that I think these few weeks uh, for me has been quite amazing because I feel more connected to my surrounding and to the natural world around me than ever before. And I, I almost found myself feel that I am in a face of death, I'm alive. This is quite mm. powerful. And it's not a material wealth. It's not a material power. It's not an economical success. All this is rubbish we have been given. Is a total lie. We need to find the simplicity. We need to find moderation. We need to respect life. All life. We are all interconnected, not just human being, all living being and all non-living thing. We are all part of one stream of existence. And until we see ourselves as part of that, I feel that this is what art is, this is what philosophy provide, this is what poetry does, connects us. Mm. Shirza, thank you so much for your time today. It was wonderful to speak with you and I hope we get to meet in person one day. <laughs> I'm sure we will, but thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of At A Distance, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow us on Instagram at slowdown.tv. 
To sign up for our weekly newsletter exploring the five senses, head to our website at www.slowdown.tv.